trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 80 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris, and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Bear by Marion Engel. This was recommended by listener Martin Ford. The premise of the book seems so bizarre that we just had to put it on the schedule, so thank you very much, Martin. Um, yeah, definitely when you read the uh, the back of this, uh, it raises some questions. <laughs> Which, you know, we'll get into momentarily, but uh, do you want to tell the people what we normally do on the show, Chris? Oh, you're trusting me with reading copy. I, I'm, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, letting your lead out a little bit every time, giving you some okay. practice. Okay, I think I can do it. I think <laughs> I can do it. All right, get ready. If this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some other combination of the three. So we do the opposite of what most people do in the bookstore or while they're browsing Amazon. Instead of getting a book that you think you'll enjoy, we look at the things that we think we might not enjoy, which usually results in a disappointing read. But, you know, every once in a while, we end up liking the book, which happened this time. Yeah, dude. This book is great. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good book with... Okay, how about you read the, the summary here? So yeah, that I, everyone I'll, can I'll, then all of a sudden turn their back on us immediately when they hear what's... <laughs> yeah, I'll read the content warning in the summary. But first, can we get a round of applause for that copy read? And you Yay. even inserted... Dude, you even inserted um, a sentence on the fly. And that was great. That was great. Wait, that's the problem you've had with me before is when I change things on the fly like that. Well, no, but that time it made sense. Oh. <laughs> you did a great job. Oh, okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> little backhanded but no, okay that's not true <laughs> all right um so our content warnings for this week are pretty heavy uh yeah look, there's a look, big so... big old sign here right <laughs> it's a, a, before so... we took this corner here there's yes. a big sign that says beware of bear and then after that next quarter they're like in addition to this so so imagine you're you know walking through uh the gates of the gates of hell and there's, you know, above the doorway, it's like, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Well, this this particular version of hell says, watch out, we got to talk about fucking a bear. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> that's like, what the side we says. We have to talk about bestiality today, uh, and things are going to get a bit more serious than usual uh, due to the kind of um, all of the We're many emotional things yeah, that are covered. Uh, so please be aware, this one might be a little cryy. We might have some tears mixed in with those laughs. <laughs> <laughs> not about necessarily the bear fucking Let's oh yeah that, far. that might be confusing so let me let me get this okay so the the bear fucking and the emotional trauma are kind of two separate pieces that we're gonna weirdly be somehow you know, somehow yeah totally unrelated separate uh, issues well not totally but 
Um, all right. So here's the, uh, the summary for Bear. A mousy librarian is summoned to a remote Canadian island to inventory the estate of Colonel Jocelyn Carey. Colonel Carey, as the reader quickly learns, has a number of secrets, but the most surprising and the most enduring is a bear. By page 20, our librarian has met the bear and wondered if the bear would be good company. The bear is indeed good company. Intimate company. Shocking company. (laughs) Yeah, guys. Yeah, I gotta say, when uh, Martin posted on our Facebook about this, I think he said something about, like, he couldn't even get through the first sentence or first page or something. And I was like, okay, you know, so I looked it up and I read the premise and was like, oh, fucking Christ. Yeah, this lady's fucking a bear. It's going to be a terrible book. And I saw that it had won a really prestigious uh, Canadian Literary Award. And I was like, well, you know, just because a book wins an award doesn't mean it's great. I mean, we've we've had that experience in the past. I think when we read... um, we read uh, the bird tip book. What the hell was that called? Um, Ab, uh, uh, watch something about watches. I was about to say Abercrombie's watch. <laughs> Abercrombie's watch and bird tits. Um, Abercrombie's uh, finch. Uh, 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 okay, no. Shit. Why can't I remember? Anyway, Audubon's this, watch. It was thank called Audubon's you, watch. Audubon's watch. Like that book won more than one award. That author had, or maybe the author. Oh, I take that back. The author had won many awards, but the book... I don't know that the book itself did, but in any case... Yeah, he uh, let us know about that one. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, John Gregory Brown hates the Terrible Book Club, but that's okay. We understand. People are sensitive. Um, yes. Anyway, so, you know, just because it won an award doesn't mean it has to be good, but it did give me pause, but I was like, but this is about a lady fucking a bear. How can this book be anything but terrible? And then I read the first sentence and I was already in love with this book. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand the guy who was like, I read the first sentence and I immediately put it down. I was like, that's what actually grabbed. It's not like it's this particularly profound sentence, but it immediately sets up like how Marion Engel writes and it's pretty engrossing. Yeah. And no, I mean, I get it because maybe, I mean, because like even Chris and I don't always agree on what writing we like, but um, so I understand, like, if, like Martin, thanks for the recommendation that, you know, we totally understand that not everyone is going to like the same books. I mean, that's kind of what this whole show is based around. But I will say, yeah, I was p- totally pulled in by that first sentence and I'm going to go ahead and read it right now. So the book opens with this. In the winter, she lived like a mole buried deep in her office, digging among maps and manuscripts. And it goes on to describe how this librarian usually operates. And there was just... Um, so, like Chris said, the writing is really great. It's it, Marion Engel has this like beautifully concise style, uh, and her descriptions and her efficiency uh, with those descriptions, and also just with the book in general. I mean, this book's only 122 pages, and I feel like that's that's even generous because the the type font uh, the font is kind of large, um, and there is some you know short short chapters, large spaces. So, I mean, you're talking maybe 100 pages here, and she's got this story that's just like packed with so much weight <laughs> you know this is a hefty bear it's a hefty bear <laughs> yeah it's a real thick boy <laughs> so yeah before we get into anything else let's uh go down the list of characters and talk about the setting that we're working with here so lou the main character is a 27 year old female librarian at the historical institute in toronto uh she has a director uh director Dr. David Dixon. <laughs> director Dr. David Dixon. Or, I don't know, Dr. David Dixon, director. Yeah. Dr. Director Dixon, David. 
Yeah, just so many Ds. <laughs> uh, so he is her boss. Um, bear, the titular bear. Uh, he is. I, I think the bear is just a a big brown bear. I don't think it's a, it's not a Kodiak or anything. They don't specify which one um, is the least likely to eat you. I guess is the, well, it's probably that. No. Uh, Homer is a local country store owner and groundskeeper of sorts for this estate that Lou has been sent to inventory. Uh, Lucy Leroy, she's a native woman who's a neighbor to the estate. And then uh, all of this takes place on a fictional island called Penarth, uh, Carey's Island, which is based on the Algoma District in Ontario, Canada. So if you're familiar with Canada, it takes place there. Um, So, you know, Lou is a librarian who works in Toronto, but she gets sent... Uh, to inventory this estate because, you know, like, basically the colonel died and left the estate to the Institute. And the Institute wants to go there to see if there's anything of value, anything of, well, historical value, and I guess also financial value, before they decide what else to do with the property. Uh, Um, Paris, real quick, uh, I was confused about one thing in this book that I think was just me being dumb. What? Colonel Jocelyn Carey, that's a lady, right? Yeah, I think Jocelyn Carey was a woman, but there... The, and it, also, Colonel was not her rank. It was her name. She, yes, she was named Colonel. So she could take over the the kind of the male side of the... Um, how do you put that? The original guy who built it, he was a colonel, and in his will, he was like, oh, this house that I built on this island shall only go to colonels in my family, thinking that he would only give it to military men in his family or his future generations and uh, i guess the later family kind of got around that by going okay we'll name our daughter colonel so she gets the house on the island very specifically yeah and everybody was super pissed about it and i fucking chuckled because i was like yeah. that's a, that's a fucking king move right there <laughs> queen Ka- move i should say kind of a recurring theme in the book of like mediocre men kind of getting fucked over or rightfully so yeah uh so yeah, so I mean, I think we, we mentioned briefly that the writing itself is great, so it, it doesn't go on long, uh, yet there's still a lot of depth here. Um, and somehow in 100 pages, we touch on loneliness, infidelity, bestiality, sexism, eroticism. Um, I mean, it's like, there's just, like I said, there's just so much here, so we'll, we'll do our best with it. Um, I think we should just do a quick overall summary of the, the main story beats and then we can talk about how we felt about it so i'm sure even at this point you're like all right terrible book club has lost their fucking minds there's a gas leak in boston like how? <laughs> they don't like sex in any books except the one with it's a lady and a bear <laughs> yeah like we've definitely uh we definitely tipped uh <laughs> definitely tipped the scales something something is off um <clears throat> so you know I know it's it's we're gonna do our best to convince you to read to give this book a chance um and to understand that we're not actually losing our minds due to some kind of poisoning so um all right so the our character our protagonist Lou heads to this island it's sort of isolated you have to take a boat to get there I think from like the main area or something you can drive i think as well i, I was kind of well, unsure she had how- to she had to drive to a certain point and then she had to take a boat out to the island yeah because homer runs like the closest store to it and he's also the groundskeeper for this place i guess after colonel jocelyn passed away um so he kind of knows the ins and outs of it how to like 
have a comfy life over there. Like all the little uh, bits and bot, like the, the fireplace is over here, and like you can get some wood over here, and the, the supplies in this direction and whatnot. So he's sort of taken Lou up there and explaining to her uh, a bunch of things. And her first impression of him is decent you know he's like oh he's just trying to help me out here he's not trying to be a jerk or anything yeah and she's from the city and so she's like yeah i know i'm a city idiot i really don't actually know like how to maneuver this boat or like how to grow vegetables or what to do because she's never been outside of toronto really uh it's her first time kind of out by herself in the country even though she's going to a fucking mansion it is like with a bunch of fancy shit in it it is on an island it is remote and it's not like she can just you know, walk down the street to get food. She has to take a boat to the mainland, you know, and go to the country store and all that stuff. So, you know, she acknowledges that she uh, doesn't know what she's doing and she appreciates Homer's help. And Homer's up there taking her up to the house, explaining all the things. He's like, also, there's a bear in the back. Just, you know, the, the colonel had this bear and he hangs out over there. You might get to know him pretty well. He's usually chained up in in the back and he's just been there for a while is kind of how he leaves it. Yeah, well, and he's like, he's like, don't forget, though, it's still a wild animal. Like, you know, the colonel had it. And he said he's, um, he was like, oh, the colonel never paid any mind to it or whatever. Just, she just had it. Which you later question I mean, for like, many reasons. If you have a bear in your backyard, you're probably paying some mind. Like, oh, I better walk around the bear <laughs> yeah, when like, I go out to get my feed vegetables. That bear. Someone had to tie him up and everything, right? So yeah, basically the bear has its own shed, like a tiny. It was like a. It was. I think it was actually used as a small house at one point. But it's the bears. He has a chain. Uh, but he the chain is pretty long. Like he has a pretty long lead in the yard and stuff so she's like oh uh okay you know and she kind of says she's like yeah i've never really been into animals like they're fine but she said something she says something like you know i had a dog that i liked but i didn't really care when it died you know kind of kind of a thing yeah. she's just like <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not that into pets like i you know she's like i'm cool with them if they're there but i don't seek them out so she's thinking like, huh, a bear. All right, well, I hope it doesn't fucking eat me, but whatever. I guess I have to deal with it while I'm here over the summer. Because the whole plan is she's supposed to be there for the summertime. So she arrives. We actually don't know what month, but I think it must be like May. It's like late fall. No, 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 late no, no. Late spring, no. late spring. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's May probably. Because she's supposed to stay all the way through September. Um, and it's, She said it's going to take her a few months to like inventory everything, so... I think that makes sense. Uh, so anyway, she gets there. He shows her around. Um, she has a couple of short interactions with Lucy Leroy, the native woman who lives nearby, uh, who, you know, tells her a couple, some helpful things about the bear. Uh, Chris, do you remember what she recommends to make the bear her friend? Um, I don't remember the specific thing, no, because there was other things later on in the book that really, uh, you know, took my mind away from any Wait, of the you details. Really don't, you really don't remember this? Okay, so Lucy Leroy comes by right after uh, Lou moves in, and, you know, it is kind of annoying that they have very similar names, uh, and Lucy Leroy, it, she doesn't um, she doesn't speak English fluently or French? I guess I don't really know what language... I guess I assume English because it's written in English, but this is Canada, so it could have been... I don't know. Anyway, she doesn't speak uh, Lou's language fluently, so it's sort of this this broken English in the text, and she says, 
you know, basically she tells her, you have to shit near the bear. And then oh, the right. bear will <laughs> I be forgot your that, like, she told him to, she <laughs> yeah. told her to do that. And, you know, and Lou's like, well, I don't know anything. I guess I'll listen to this native woman. And that, so that's what she does. And the native woman is like, yeah, as long as you, like, shit next to him every morning, he'll he'll be cool with you. <laughs> and I don't, I guess I'm not a, a bearologist, so I don't understand the, the mechanisms of uh, bear sociology. So I, don't, I guess I'm not really sure why that's a thing. Lucy um, Leroy, bear HD. Well, I mean, it could just be that maybe it's just so they can get used to your scent and they know that you're okay being... You know, I don't, I, I don't think we should be taking any direct bear advice from this book, Paris. So <laughs> Chris, like, I'm not planning if you on... If you try to make friends with a bear, uh, listeners out there, I don't think shitting near it every morning is going to help you. Uh, no. <laughs> PSA. Let's put no, that I don't. No, I'm not No bear safety tips whatsoever in this episode, guys. No, no. No, actually, everything we're going to talk about with this bear is the opposite of what you should yeah. ever do if you encounter <laughs> yeah. a bear. Yeah. Uh generally do not do not do any of these things uh so anyway she's like yeah do that so uh lou takes her advice and she finds that the bear is really docile um you know she's obviously afraid of it and and, i mean that's healthy you should be afraid of a bear they are very large they can do a lot of damage in a very small amount of time um you know so it's good that she's wary of him at first but he's so docile you know she feeds him and he lets her pet him and then they eat food together they go on then they graduate to like going on walks together they swim together then he can then he comes inside the house and naps with her and all this stuff so he's kind of just like this giant dog the whole time like most of the time um not very bear-like in a lot of ways. And I think that's purposeful, as uh, we'll talk about, you know, once we get into our analysis a little bit. So she's by herself. And actually, I think the only parts of the book that kind of lost me for a few minutes here and there were the parts where it's talking about her cataloging the collection. Because she'll just start referencing all this, like, <clears throat> rich white people British writing shit. And I'm like, I yeah. have no fucking idea what's going on. <laughs> I think that's sort of... Um Marion Engel's like highbrow referencing of some previous reading. I'm I'm fairly sure a lot of the books in here are actual books. Yeah, I mean, because she was talking about people who were real, but I, I mean, I don't know that all of them were. I assumed they were. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm just flipping through here to see if there's if there's a good ex a uh, good example of a time when my eyes glazed over because I was like I. What? <laughs> Part of the cataloging is there to, like, uh, these notes will fall out of certain books that Lou is cataloging that are notes from Colonel Jocelyn about bear stuff. It's just, like, random bear facts le- strewn throughout all the random books in the house. Yeah, Like, like some you... kind of weird bear Da Vinci Code puzzle or something. <laughs> like, oh, if you unlock all the pieces, you can fuck the bear. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of what happened. Yeah. So, she solves the bear Vinci Code. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Well, yeah, it's almost like if you you printed out uh, all of the Wikipedia articles on every bear thing ever and then just scattered them around the house like confetti. You know, that's kind of what happens. So you get all the... I actually like that. To fuck conf- the bear in my pantry, you must <laughs> solve my riddle three. 
The fucking Canadian Sphinx, man, if yeah. I ever heard it. <laughs> They're weird over there, man. They're weird. The Canadian Sphinx, Sphinx, Sphinx wears a flannel. It's got a beer in one hand. And it's like, hey, if you get my riddles right, you can fuck this bear. <laughs> That's the best I could come up with. And you're like, well, it's not what I was expecting as a reward. But on the other hand, good story. Um, Full disclosure, my heritage is canadian on both sides so i say this with love. oh you uh, oh you can make oh you're allowed to make i'm allowed to make canadian jokes <laughs> uh, so yeah so i actually loved the convention of the little bear notes falling out of books because you just get these fun little facts and it it's um this clever way to help you piece together colonel jocelyn's bear obsession because at you know at first it's just like huh okay a bear fact and the second one happens and you're like okay she just like bears and then after they keep happening you're like oh she was fucking that bear yeah some kind of like bear gigolo in the on an <laughs> island for lonely women or something yeah, this bear's got a racket going there's lonely <laughs> canadian women on those islands i know if they start shitting near me that's the sign that like you know someone told them the code <laughs> Oh my god, Lucy Leroy is the bear's pimp? Is yes. that what we're determining? Oh, <laughs> yeah, no. Yes, I oh, think so. Jesus Christ. In a way, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Uh, well, so you start to realize that Colonel Carey was fucking this bear. And I mean, you you suspect that someone was having a relationship with this bear because... Why else would it be so docile and so okay with being so close to humans and never show any sign of aggression? Um, yeah, and, and just the relationship that develops between Lou and the bear in the present tense is um, there is something like, all right, obviously we're talking about a woman like, okay, okay, let all right, this is where we're going to be really graphic about the sex they have. So fucking five, four, yeah. three, two, one, bear fucking. Okay, so to be clear, they never have intercourse. They're, she uh, kind of tries it for a second. She tried to, but it didn't actually work because the bear was not aroused at the time. Um, and then the other time that the bear was aroused, she was unable to uh continue or to even start i guess because she turned around to present and then he ripped her back open with his claw um, yeah that's like the final encounter yeah, that too. Was it. um but it all starts because there she's she likes whiskey so she's drinking whiskey and she's drunk and she's reading uh i don't know she's reading some notes in some book uh, and, you know, because she's cataloging all the books and stuff. And she's drunk. They're sitting by the fire. They're, you, <laughs> you know, know. when you get drunk with your bear buddy. You know, yeah. Get little, <laughs> things get a little wild. A little wild by the fire. And she starts, um, like, petting the bear with her foot. Is that is that when that happens, Chris? Or no, that's because like the, the foot thing is, like, way earlier. <laughs> that's, like, the first thing. Like, oh, the first oh. contact with the bear yeah. is kind of, like, gently rubbing his fur with her foot while she's, like, reading something else. This is, like, uh, like a, I don't know, a few weeks to a month later, and they're having naps at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's 
reading some books, doing some cataloging, and she's drunk, and she decides, like, she's laying down with him by the fire, and she's like, she gets upset, and she decides she's gonna masturbate, so she, like, rolls over, like, you know, a few paces away from him, and she starts pleasuring herself, and the bear just gets involved. And that's the how it's like, that's- hey, what's going on over here? Uh, I think my old Colonel Carey friend, uh, that was, you know, we, we used to do stuff. So here, let me help you out. Um, and the bear um, decides to, oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> Performs Baralingus, I suppose. Yeah, sure does. So um, at first, the bear is just um, like licking her body. Uh so, you know, I think he was, like, licking her face and then her chest and her breasts, and then she kind of guides him downward and he does his thing. And, uh, I mean, I will say, the I can't believe I'm saying this, the way that this is described is, like, the best description, some of the best descriptions of sex I've ever read, because... They're so short and relatively painless. Like, yeah, and they kind of get to the point of like what, why we're showing this at all. Yeah, and it exactly. moves on from there. And like, there's one. It's literally one sentence, and it was fucking amazing. I was like, that's hilarious. Uh, I remember reading it and going, yeah, okay, that's that's how I want sex to be described to me in books. Um, hang on, where are the. <laughs> Please, every author ever, follow the model of bear sex to satisfy these two critics. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I mean. I just mean the expediency and the conciseness of it is really Yeah, because like, it, it doesn't dwell on like the pornoness of it or anything. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. like try to get you hot about it. It's just like, this is relevant to the story I'm trying to tell. I'm not going to linger on it much. Aside from, I, I guess, like, almost the emotional impact of it. Okay, I'm going to read this passage. His tongue bent vertically and he put it up her cunt. <laughs> like, there's just like, that's it, and that's it. That's the only, that the, it's just so you know, hey, they did the fucking again, and you're like, all right, I know, thank you. The next sentence you. is just, a note fell out of the book. <laughs> the offspring <laughs> is of a woman and a bear is a hero with the strength of a bear and the cleverness of a man. Old Finnish legend. She cried with joy. I feel like that taken out of context makes this sound pretty lame. But yeah, uh, yeah like make no mistake, readers, you become emotionally invested in this woman <laughs> who is fucking a bear. And yeah, I, God, if that's not the mark of a fucking amazing author, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, I got to hand it to Marion here. Uh, I didn't think I would... I thought I would immediately be revolted by this. And it's still, it, like, it's not totally, ama- it feels gross still. Oh, yeah. There's even oh, sentences yeah. later where she's acknowledging that. And um, it, one of my favorite sentences, actually, in the book is uh, kind of after she, like, has an encounter with him for the first time. Uh, she writes, she tested herself, pinching her conscience here and there to see if she felt evil. She felt loved. Yeah, dude, it, that fucking, that those two sentences, man, I was like, damn. the the pinching thing there like you know you're pinching yourself to test for feeling and you know instead of feeling evil she felt loved um it's it's just really concise and it's a good way to illustrate the emotional turmoil that she might be going through yeah like when you have when you have any kind of regrettable sex and i think that's what's um there again i can't believe i'm saying this but this book about a woman fucking a bear is incredibly relatable like if you've ever experienced (laughs) 
and not because it's a bear she's fucking but if you've ever experienced loneliness regrettable sex um emotionally void relationships with others especially men i think that's kind of what the book is getting at i mean this this book really fucking gets at you like i was not expecting to get hit as hard by this book as i did like there were a couple of times i teared up reading this book (laughs) i i'm not gonna lie to you there were just a few sentences or passages where i was just like oh boy that's a little too close to home you know (laughs) like i i mean because like i said the bear i actually chris if you want to talk about kind of what you think about the bear um and the fact that obviously in the book it's literally a bear but yeah so clearly this book has a little bit of a feminist slant to it maybe a lot bit oh yeah oh yeah it's not it's not like super out front or anything, but it's about a woman coming to terms with her empty relationships with various men. And there's a lot of passages even where she talks, she, she'll read a book. There's a lot of autobiographies of like, you know, British nobility or the, the people that like the generations of family that lived in this house and all the men that came to own the place before even Colonel Carey did. Um, I'll read a couple of these passages, actually. I'm getting to the bear eventually, but I guess, you know, get ready for the analytical portion of Terrible Book Club here, which is kind of a rarity, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, we don't usually have things to work with, so. This is the passage that I was talking about. The bow were dominating duchesses. The bow was on the make. How she disapproved of him, how she admired him, his egg-like perfect sense of himself never faltered. The circumstances and facts he never bent. Lucky for him, he never married. She thought he would have found domesticity squalid. Cornet Brummel, who would not go to Manchester, not on liberal grounds, refusing to quash a popular riot, but because gentlemen do not go to Manchester, who would not touch reality with a barge pole, who invented the necktie and made it fashionable to be clean. Really. She looked up at Carrie and down at the, he- down at the bear and was suddenly exquisitely happy. Worlds changed. Two men in scarlet uniforms, two men who had lived well, neither rich or highly well-born, both, she was sure, in the end, ruined. She felt victorious over them. She felt she was their inheritor. A woman rubbing her foot in the thick black pelt of a bear was more than they could have imagined, more, too, than a military victory. Splendor. And there's another passage near page 88 and 89. She drove back, her thoughts divided. She was taking a man away from his wife. She felt she was offering him something of a holiday. She was glad his wife adopted children and refused to man gas pumps, but she was angry with her raised and querulous voice. Fishwives give us all a bad name, she thought. Fishwives, fish widows, and we all set out to be mermaids. So in these passages, there's a lot about women being subjugated by mediocre men who, you know, do like tiny insignificant shit in the world. And yet most women have to be subservient to them in at least in these sort of retellings that she's reading of, you know, older days. I forget. It was like 19th century around. Yeah, it was like all rich white people, too, from England. So, you know, Um, so a lot of the book is her dealing with like this idea of mediocre men and how she hasn't found a relationship with one that's worth a crap for anything. Well, yeah. And, and I think some people might hear us say that, you know, talk about her having sex with this bear um, and think, Oh, what is this? Like some 
fucking unfuckable librarian like no she actually does have relationships with men they're just extremely unfulfilling <laughs> like yeah. so um, she's me, actually fucking the director at yeah. her job um and she eventually has sex with homer um the guy that's kind of the groundskeeper and uh store owner nearby but again she finds that those pale in comparison to her relationship with the bear yeah so for me the bear could be one of two things uh, it's i it's either a stand-in for like the fear and vulnerability that come along with starting any new relationship and anytime you meet someone new even if it's not necessarily romantic but i guess that's kind of the point of the book here so we'll kind of assume we're talking about a romantic viewpoint yeah, yeah it it's it's a scary thing for the most part you're opening yourself up to someone and that's usually the only way to actually have a real relationship relationships are about that vulnerability and that trust and that's where you get the reward from is when you trust someone with some of these vulnerabilities and they don't hurt you and that's what the bear does. It's a, it's a wild, ferocious force that could hurt her, but it doesn't. And that's why it's so rewarding. Similarly, the bear could also be, you know, the very real physical danger that most women, ha you know, have to go up against when they're interacting with most men. The, you know, most men are stronger than the average woman, especially in the upper body strength area. So this bear could be a real physical manifestation of that taken to, like, an extreme because he's, like, 2,000 pounds. <laughs> well, yeah. And again, you know, we're obviously speaking in generalities here. Please don't send us emails about not all women, not all men, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I don't want to hear that. it. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, we're, I mean, it's, it's like, we're already having a difficult discussion about bestiality and emotions. We can't also sit here and fucking break down every last thing about... Yeah, I'm the not saying all, gender in our yeah, society. All, <laughs> all men are threats or something, but there's a very yeah. real physical difference most of the time. Yeah. And but so that, I don't really think that's the main point of the bear. I really lean more towards the bear is this stand in for emotional vulnerability in relationships and the potential for harm that comes from relationships oh, like oh, this. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because when I was reading this, like I said, I I got emotional a couple of times because there were scenes and and passages uh that were just like oh god this like i've lived through this uh actually i can i can hang on let me read some of those because they are definitely worth it um yeah like i i made a note actually in the notes that you know the main character's loneliness and her dissatisfaction and her relationships with men to this point in her life um at her age you know in the book she's 27 like i'm 31 it's pretty close um it just like hit a little too close to home like i you know i don't have to go into super detail but i've had a trying <laughs> a trying time uh especially in the last year uh with um relationships with with men and it's uh yeah it's it's been really tough to get through and as much as some of these passages kind of like you know affected me i think it was good because it made me feel like, oh, okay, like this other people have these problems. And I know it's easy to to accept that like conceptually. Like, of course, I know other people have emotions and feelings and like traumatic relationships and things like that. But um, there's something about these descriptions and the way that they resonated with me. So, well, not only is someone like having these same feelings, but they're taking the time to articulate it maybe in a way that you hadn't thought of. 
you know, for example, by a bear fucking metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I'll just go ahead and read some of these. Um, when Lou is thinking about a a past failed relationship she had, she says this: When he left her for someone smaller and neater and more energetic and more subservient to his demands. She surprised herself with the depths of her passionate chagrin at losing a man who was at heart petty and demanding. I mean, I know maybe it doesn't mean anything to any of you or it doesn't mean much to any of you, but like, yeah, like, I guess to paraphrase in the parlance of our times, uh, fucking, <laughs> if you don't love you anymore, walk your fine ass out the door, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but you know, it's like, why are you, why are you fucking wasting your time? on somebody who is not worth your time uh but you know it's just like coming to those realizations and i i feel like the way that she articulated them like chris said is just really great um and not even that but the the sort of the other emotional part of it being that i understand this person was crappy but still i'm super upset about not being what they want anymore objectively you can know one thing that this wasn't healthy for me and it's good that i'm rid of it but you still want them to like you for some reason. Yeah, and and this is <laughs> this is Chris and I having this conversation in a recorded way is going to be fun because uh, this was something Chris has like tried to impress upon me. <laughs> like, like yeah, you know those people those people aren't shit. Um, but you still have to kind of deal with the feelings that you have. You can't just. You can't ignore them, even though you know that that person sucks, right? You can't um, even logic them away all the time, no. and it's, in fact, it's pretty unhealthy to sit there most of the time and go like, "I this is a dumb feeling to have. I shouldn't be having this feeling," because you just end up making yourself feel worse about the whole thing in general. It's be- it's better, like Lou does here, to acknowledge that and maybe sit in it a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna go ahead and read another passage because I really like it. Mm-hmm. And I think she was actually talking about the same guy when she said this, so. She had felt uncomfortable when he said he loved her, felt it meant something she didn't understand, and indeed it meant, she discovered, that he loved her as long as the socks were folded and she was at his disposal on demand, when the food was exquisite and she was not menstruating, when the wine had not loosened her tongue, when the olive oil had not produced a crease in her belly. So just, you know, again, really articulating very well um a few things like at once you're articulating all these demands that a lot of heterosexual men have like all these like crazy demands they have of women like don't get too fat but make great food you know i want you to be sexy and at my disposal all the time but oh you can't have there's no period blood ever that's gross uh you know i want you to be able to drink with the boys but not slur and get you know messy and drunk it's like also don't talk to those boys also don't yeah yeah that too um you know i need you to be uh you know the the sec the sexy my sexy arm candy but i I need you to do all the chores and fold all the socks and all that stuff so that but also articulating this other piece where it's like you you know just because someone says they love you doesn't mean anything unless they show that they do Um, And clearly, that was not the case here, right? You know, because if you're requiring someone to subscribe to all these demands that are unreasonable, then clearly you don't really love them. Uh, And yeah, I don't know. I just thought the way that she was, the way uh, Marion Engel writes um, these little things are just really, I don't know, just resonated with me uh, more than a lot of other books had. 
Speaking of uh, telling people you love them, um, oh, yeah. Mary, uh, Lou rather, uh, tells the bear that she loves him in the story um, kind of midway through. And I actually really liked the way it was done because, you know, in most romance genre stuff, the I love you moment is this like big thing that's being built up to and like you can hear the crescendo of strings <laughs> if it was like in a movie or something you know yeah, really? the camera's whirling around everyone there you know everyone starts kissing a whole lot and yada 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 but in in this book the first time Lou tells the bear that she loves it he's just splashing around in a river near her he's he's just like having a good time being a bear and she's hanging out with him and she turns to him and she goes I love you bear and that's it. And to me, that's I I prefer that because, like I said, in in most media, the "I love you" moment is like this dramatic realization that a person says it because there's like some kind of tension point that's coming to a head, or you know, the the person did something amazing for them. But for me personally, I I can't speak for everyone here, but some of the moments where I feel that feeling the most or when like yeah, I, the moments I've had that like really click in for me are simple moments like that. They, they could be just standing in a kitchen and like cutting some food up and something about that just sets me off and I realize, oh, I really, really care for this person. Or even if, you know, they, they're just walking with me somewhere and I catch the, like I look at them and they're just smiling at me. Simple stuff like that is profoundly deeper in terms of making me have that feeling rather than like some kind of heady moments that you see in a lot of media. And I appreciate that about this book. Sorry, I just think I need a second. God damn it. <laughs> told myself I wouldn't get upset <sighs> but uh, no um I agree with you I mean I think that's the problem that we have with uh, a lot of mainstream <laughs> like every book we've ever read on the show where mm -hmm. even books we've liked you know the moment when the the fucking two lead characters fall in love it's like always a beautiful man and a beautiful woman and they're heterosexual and they you know that like you said <laughs> like you said the, the cameras are whirling and you can hear the man's knee creaking as he gets down on one knee to, <laughs> you know to offer a ring and and like and you know you can you can uh feel like everything in the background going black and white while the all, two you know, main characters are in color. All the animals in the forest are surrounding them yeah. and fluttering about. <laughs> and there's a squirrel running up her shoulder. Yeah, no, and and yeah, I, that is that is a really good point that you made. That I I don't think I consciously really did a good job processing. So I'm glad that you explained it. But yeah, it's it's those moments like. You're absolutely right. Like, that's when you realize that you really care about somebody. Like, you know, just the way that they look at you or say something or... Yeah, like you said, it's in those everyday moments. It's not... You're not always... At least for most people. Like, most people aren't... Uh, like you know like oh you didn't just save me from a gunfight yeah so we I, was have gonna, to, like, <laughs> I was just gonna say most people aren't dangling off a cliff and have been <laughs> rescued you know uh, <laughs> so it was again i can't believe we're saying this but 
this woman telling this bear that she's having sex with it that she loves it was somehow more realistic in a romantic sense it really is though and the book in general seems to like revel in magnifying small moments and details like this not in just you know in in i guess romantic moments you could say like that but uh just especially with nature imagery or touch sensations it's very good about zooming in on particular natural imagery or there's one passage i like where she uh she's that it's the part where she's rubbing her foot on the bear and it's like the first time that they're touching she kind of like doesn't even realize how much she's doing it and it's in a very non-baroque or flowery way it's not overwrought or anything um the line that where she where this happens is she grew warm kicked off her shoes and found herself running her bare foot over his thick soft coat exploring it with her toes finding it had depths and depths layers and layers and it doesn't really ruminate on things more than that it doesn't start going into like oh it really was like super su- like that fur it kept sucking her in with all the depths and layers and she found herself like running her foot no it's like that's the line and then we move on to what else she's doing in that scene and yeah I, like it's almost like Marion Engel knows just exactly the right um outlines to give you know to let you color in the rest it, it's i don't know exactly how to describe it but that's how it feels like she leads you to a feeling she doesn't tell you how to feel um and that's something i really appreciated like you said even i think even the demonstration you just gave of that that sentence about her you know putting running her foot through the bear's fur it's like you you know saying it has depths and depths layers and layers it it gives you that kind of sense of endlessness without being like you said without being overwrought about it and i also really like the point you made chris saying that the book magnifies these small moments and details a not in a flowery way and b it's not about it's never like about the sexiness or beauty of a woman right it's yeah, like, like it's about weird shit like fish and like yeah. sunlight you know it's not um it's not the it doesn't fall into the typical trappings you know that a lot of a lot of books do when it comes to description um, Especially thought, romantic things, which, yeah. like you said, focus on usually like body imagery of people. Like, oh, he even if it's not a woman, like even the men in like the romance stuff, are like, oh, he's so cut and ripped and like his muscles and all this stuff. And th- this one, this book uses, you know, imagery of like you said, fish or flowers or the river or the garden or the bear's fur to sort of to to actually just lead you to that feeling. Like you said, that's a great way to put it. I would say it's it's being taken somewhere instead of like having it put in front of you yeah and you know it's so many books i feel like you have a fucking gun to your head and your hands are tied behind your back like we were reading the silent patient that's what it felt like like i was being i was being kidnapped and fucking forced into a dungeon and i was being told exactly how to feel about everything regardless of how i wanted to feel yeah (laughs) there was like there is nowhere to go, you know, but yeah, with this, with Marion's writing, it's, uh, there's just something really great about it. Yeah. She doesn't, she gives you room to, like I said, to sort of color in what you need to, but somehow gives you, gives you the right guidance, I guess, to get there. Um, you know, so uh, yeah. And, and as a point of comparison, I remember reading Anne Rice novels when I was in high school and I remember there was this one, I don't remember if it was a vampire Lestat or if it was 
uh, Taltos or some other book by her. I don't know. She's written a ton of books, but there was like a page and a half about curtains. Like the curtains. Father. Yo, I don't, I don't need to read about the patterning in a curtain for a page and a half because there's no reason for it other than you want to jerk off your vac- Victorian as fuck like writing dick. I don't know. You I, know, you know I just... guess it's to set up the aesthetic and everything, but you're right. Like a page and a half about it is a little much unless you were like particularly metaphorically, you know, stuffed curtains. <laughs> yeah, it'd be one thing if you were you know, like... Metaphorically stuffed curtains from Domino's. <laughs> <laughs> we crammed it all the symbolism in here. It's just dripping from the inside. <laughs> oh, call now to get mozzarella shades <laughs> with your order. <laughs> uh, but mmm. <laughs> yeah, like it'd be one thing if it was like, well, as I was waiting in, you know, Lord Barrington's drawing room, I <laughs> was staring at the curtains as they flitted in the daylight and saw that they were covered in image of people fucking and you no know, <laughs> and then like that was somehow relevant, fine, but the sensuous like, curls and the design on the drapes really <laughs> set me off and I had to go outside and feel the bear. That's what I expected out of this book. No, and it know. didn't happen that way. I know, I know. And um, there's just something really wonderful about how not gratuitous this book is in any way, whether sexually or uh, in descriptions of things. Uh, yeah, it's just beautifully efficient. Even even the stuff where she takes her shit next to the bear is pretty blunt and yeah, to the point. And th- that's the thing. That's the thing I like about this. Um, it's like blunt and unabashed about like fucking shitting and pissing you know as the as the troubled but in many ways great marquis de sade said you know those are the things that fucking tie us all together in you know in humanity um or i guess in this case as as people whether human or non-human please don't send me an email about that Uh, (laughs) i'm sure you will someone will um actually you may right now you may be wondering Wait, Paris likes the Marquis de Sade. Didn't didn't he only write gratuitously about fucking in very Baroque style? You are correct. <laughs> so we can talk about that another time. But um, yeah, you know you can't really top them. So that's probably it. Where you're just like, listen, I read the Marquis, guys. You don't. It's over. You can't do oh that. Oh my God, Chris, is that why? Did we just unlock the reason? Yeah, you probably like desensitized yourself to it because he just like went for it all the way and every. It's like you know. Oh my god! That, that's why like slam death metal is so cool to like teenagers and stuff. And then by the time you're like thirty, thirty five, you're like, yes, I get it. You're a serial killer and you're a murderer. It's all gory. Oh my god! There's something inside me. It's coming out, right? But yeah, I've I've heard that lyric a bunch of times. Cannibal Corpse did it all the time, guys. You're not new. I'm, oh I'm bored god. by this. Chris, is this the episode where we just unlock all of Paris's truths? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow i never thought that i think you're right oh my god guys turns out when you start reading the marquis de sade at 14 it really fucks you up for the rest of your life <laughs> every other sex scene after that you're like they didn't even do anything weird what like you're yeah. just talking come about on, boobs. Come on, no i've heard one... about those before yeah come on no one got fucked with a crucifix what is yeah. this get out of here <laughs> do something interesting <laughs> fuck a bear <laughs> oh my god I wow I wow all right fucking <laughs> one thousand points to Chris uh for figuring that out but anyway back to the original point I really liked how 
um, yeah, just kind of blunt and unashamed this book was talking about these things that are so often hidden, whether in our day-to-day conversations, literature, any kind of media, um, everyone kind of hides these things, but most especially for women, like, and, and most especially, most especially when a woman (laughs) is the protagonist of a novel, you know, who is, if she is the one talking about these things, you never put words in a woman's mouth in a book about fucking shitting or pissing, right? Like, no. Um... So I just liked how it was, un- this book was unashamed to talk about those things, but and it was never overindulgent, you know, it was stated plainly. Um, and, and to me, that gives a sense of realism that all the descriptions in the world can't a lot of the time, right? You can sit here writing page after page of fucking flowery ass prose, but, it, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't feel like the person you're talking about could be real. That's like the whole, <laughs> the whole uh, way you get someone invested in a book is feeling like you are somewhat like them, that they could be a real person, um, you know, some kinship with them. And to me, part of that is being really real about bodily functions. And I know that's kind of a strange thing maybe to say, but I think that's so, um, so much of the world that we live in, you know, the kind of the, modern western white world is just really afraid of all that stuff women fucking shitting and pissing terrifying <laughs> scarier than isis man well, yeah like, like the menstruation thing that oh, in, yeah. in the bit earlier when that comes up it's like the guy won't do anything with her when she's not met when she's menstruating which i it's it's just a little blood everybody relax is how I've always felt about guys that get, like, super grossed out about, like, oh, you have to go buy tampons with my girlfriend. Like, yeah, like, I don't Fucking relax. Like, it's... Just purchase it. What's the problem? Yeah. And you're like, talking, like, this is coming from someone who's, like, extremely socially anxious sometimes. I won't even stand in the lobby of your work, Paris, because <laughs> I'm afraid, like, someone might come out of the elevator and go, like, hey, you're not supposed to be here, and, like, the cops are coming or something. <laughs> no, it's true. And you actually are scared of getting your blood drawn. Uh, I'm not scared of getting my blood drawn. I'm scared of passing out because I'm getting my blood drawn because that will randomly happen to me sometimes. I'm not, the blood drawing itself, not a big deal. It's just oh, that I passed okay. out for the first time. When I passed out for the first time, I was like, oh, this is a possibility. Now I'm afraid of it all the time. <laughs> oh, I thought you were scared of seeing blood leave your body. But anyway. no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's just I passed out once. And then every time after that, I'm like, am I going to pass out this time? The Sorry, end. <laughs> I fucked up one of I fucked up my best friend's fear in life. I'm the worst. Don't it's call a, yeah. me if you need it's, to it's, phone a friend. I guess <laughs> it's a weird layer. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, yeah, that's something that's always mystified me because that's another thing that's like sorry guys this is just apparently going to be like paris's unveiling of weird problems time but yeah that's been an issue with several dudes that i've dated and i've just been like what is the fucking problem like you just put a goddamn towel down if you're so worried about your precious sheets like you're a dude you don't even care about your sheets yeah you you don't even wash them like three months you wash them like three times a year and you're like oh no oh no yeah like i bought them for 25 dollars at target please like let's be real the filth that you're sleeping in (laughs) nightly is worse than the blood coming out of my fucking vagina monthly um yeah, that's something I, yeah, it's, so anyway, thank you, Chris, for saying that. Uh, obviously, it is helpful it's for those not, of us women I mean, It's not world. a thank you thing. It's like, ba- like what, I'm, I was only talking, I wasn't even talking about, like, period sex. I was just talking about buying a tampon, which is even simpler. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it's like it's like imagine if every time a guy was like, "Hey, can you pick up toilet paper?" I'd be like, "Oh god, oh no, I'm not going to admit to people that I go to the bathroom. You got to get that yourself." Yeah. Like imagine if They'll that was the know. reaction. Oh, They'll insane. all know I'm shitting. <laughs> no one must know. I only excrete glitter, damn it. <laughs> oh. Oh, anyway, so there's anyway. Well, speaking actually of like, you know, kind of crappy dudes here, we should, I guess, bring Homer up here. Yeah, who, we should. Not like the crappiest dude. He is trying to help Lou out most of the time, but there's a moment later on where uh, Homer's come by again. Um, by uh, he, he has a wife that like helps him run the store or something. And Lou comes by his store and she's like, hey, I need help with this thing. There's like a I found like a basement over here and I could use some help, like figuring out what's, what all this stuff is down here. And like someone to just hold a lamp or something like that. And so Homer comes down with her to, you know, to the island mansion and they start investigating the basement. They have a couple drinks and she's like she she tried this dress on that she found and she's like bending over to reach something. And he just reaches up and grabs her butt. And he like that's his way of making a pass at her. He hasn't done anything previously to even begin to flirt with her, and that's how he decides to open up. Is sort of going at her when she's vulnerable in a way, yeah. which I think is an interesting juxtaposition with the ferocious bear that Lou has been living with. And I I never quite articulated my thoughts on this a hundred percent, but there's just something interesting about that side by side of like here's this huge ferocious bear that most people would be reasonably scared of tearing them apart and Lou has a much better interaction with the bear because the bear kind of waits for Lou to push the boundary if anything he waits for her to take the lead in a lot of things but Homer the man with a sentient human brain that definitely understands all the context and implications of things like this is the one that sort of attacks her from behind, literally, first, before the bear does any damage to her. Um, and even after that, when she's, like, sort of upset at him for it, she's not a fragile princess about it. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, asshole? You have a wife here. And even Homer's, like, extra shitty after that when he is, when, when she's like, what if she cheated on you with someone? He straight up says, I'd kill her. And he has no problem making a pass at... Lou, he claims that him and his wife have an arrangement, but then he says, like, oh, all men and their wives have this understanding. So I think it's this sort of take on, like, oh, men, th- a lot of men think, like, oh, I can't, do, like, it's, it, I can't help it. I'm a man. I got to go for this thing. It's, it's natural to me. It's natural for me to be this way. And Homer's creepy and gross in that moment. And the bear never is, despite being more physically ferocious. It's the man who understands the context of what he's doing and doesn't care about it or doesn't or maybe even doesn't think about it who's really the grosser creepier monster here dude i know like that that was the thing that i thought i thought about a lot too you know like i said thinking about shitty men that i've dated it's like fuck man you know like 75 percent of the way through the book you're like i understand why you fucked that bear man like (laughs) you're just like yeah you know what someday we're all gonna give up on men (laughs) and later on i remember i remember texting chris while i was reading the book and it was like after i had read a part that made me emotional and i was like a little teary and i texted chris and i was like chris 
am I going to fuck a bear? <laughs> Don't let me fuck a bear. <laughs> because, I don't think there's many around uh, here, so I think you know, we're safe. Obviously, you know, half joking, but it was, I was, I was experiencing. half? Half? No, 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 I meant, I meant like. <laughs> <laughs> joking in that obviously i know i'm not gonna fuck a bear but the part that wasn't joking is me grappling with this um you know the sense of loneliness where it's like you feel you're never gonna have a real um connection with someone that's equal right uh and her frustration in not having found that and i was just like fuck man is like am i gonna end up inventorying books in a library and like thinking about how sexy a bear is like god damn <laughs> i think that happened i think if i had to guess that probably happens after the part where even after this occurs with homer she seeks him out to have sex with him later on yeah so the other thing i really liked about this book was that uh as you pointed out chris lou is not um she's not a princess she's not fragile she's also flawed um you know and you get you kind of i felt like all of a sudden i was like oh shit she's she's not really as like kind of um i don't want i'm trying to i'm trying not to use the word that first popped into my mind because it has negative connotations but she's not um She's not uh, delicate and naive, like, which is kind of what you're led to believe up until a certain point in the book. Like, I was even thinking up until she suddenly starts talking about her past relationships. And I, I think actually up until the point that she sleeps with Homer, you don't know anything else about her previous relationships. Pretty much. And that's pretty late in the book. So the whole book, you kind of think that she is delicate and naive. You don't get the picture that she's um experience or has had any relationships i was actually i actually thought that she had not been with anyone before until way later in the book when all of a sudden you're like oh fuck she's gonna go fuck that dude and then she does and you're like oh shit and then she starts talking about all these relationships she's had and how she's fucking her boss and you're like oh no this is not the person that i I was (laughs) reading about but you know and i'm not saying that as like oh no what a naughty bad girl i'm just saying wow, that was kind of a heel turn in this character that I wasn't expecting. Um, and she, to be clear, like I like that too because it it's gives her agency more than anything else in the book. She, When she goes to Homer to have sex with him, she regrets it later on. She cries about it after. She goes home and she cries about it after because she, she did it and she felt nothing. Even when like she walks up to Homer for the first time, he like immediately knows what's up. And the thing he says to her is can't do it without it for too long now can we so on one end like also kind of putting homer in this like predatory area above her where he's like "Ah, i just have to wait i knew i just have to wait and it would come to me and you know she does the deed there and later on she doesn't blame homer or anything for it she frames it as something she does to herself even she doesn't feel like she feels like she's using homer in a way they were both kind of using each other for that yeah, and that's how she feels with her relationship with the director, too, because she's like, yeah, we don't have anything in common other than that. Like, we work at this institute, and we we care about not damaging the maps that we fuck on. Like, yeah. that's the thing we care. And I was like, damn, that's that's fucking, that's a good description, you know? I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like, having regrettable or... No. <laughs> Man, sex on a map, that should be like a... 
uh i don't know like one of those joke bands like ninja sex party or like a lonely island song or something <laughs> sex on a map um but no but like no, it's, either- it's, it's the animaniacs uh, countries of the world song that you have to just make sure you <laughs> Do it on everyone. <laughs> United the States, Panama, Canada, 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 Canada Guatemala, Peru. On all the maps. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, uh, Wacko <laughs> 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 We get come on all the stacks with. <laughs> really got you there, huh? <laughs> oh, no. wheel of morality turn 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 tell us the lesson that we should learn oh god i love that show when i was a kid maybe don't Uh, fuck a bear or do i don't know (laughs) sorry i'm laughing at my own really bad joke oh anyway anyway agency female agency is what we were talking about feminism right not animaniacs having sex on maps continue so like i was saying like she sets this a lot of this up as things she does to herself choices that she makes that she knows will probably harm her in the long run and in a lot a lot of ways the men in this book are pretty much just slaves to their desires they they're compelled to do things to the detriment like without caring about other people there's homer who has sex with, you know, people that aren't his wife just because he assumes, oh, that's what men are built to do. There's the original colonel who set up the mansion because, like, his wife leaves the island after a while, and he lived there alone building the place entirely while she went back to the city because she was like, I can't take this fucking island shit, dude. I'm out here, like, there's weird bears that are kind of sexy, so I don't know. I don't want (laughs) to stick around. Yeah. And, like, so essentially the original colonel, like, throws away his family life to because he has to build this island mansion. It's his want. It's his desire. He has to do it. He's chained to it. He can't help himself. And that's most, like I said, that's most men in this book. I don't think there's one dude who, like, isn't under complete control of his desires. Yeah, dude. It, it was actually, I got to say, it was real refreshing to read a book where the men are all cardboard cutouts. <laughs> <laughs> True. And they're bested by a bear. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, yeah, this uh I mean, it kind of almost sucks that we're going into so much depth on this uh so much detail rather in this book because I really want people to read it. But um, Oh, there's plenty that we you know, we're not really touching what really makes this book amazing because we're only reading a select few lines here. Yeah, and, and kind of like when the lines are divorced from, you know, the text, it's I don't think it really carries as much weight or has the impact that we felt reading it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've read a book where we're inside the mind of a woman the whole time and hearing her internal monologue. And yeah, like I said, all the all the men are just like cardboard cutouts and they have no depth and they don't have a whole lot of agency. Like you said, those are sort of slaves to their um base urges um yeah we this is the opposite of everything that we've ever encountered <laughs> this is far i think it's it's a fantastic surprise to be honest with you like I, also further proof that you know you and i aren't do, we're doing this to find like haha funny books to laugh at sometimes but we're not strictly out to mock if it ends up being pretty great yeah no i, I mean 
yeah, this took me by super surprise. I like based on you know Mar- Martin uh, who recommended it. I was like, there's just no way this is going to be good. And now I'm like telling my boss to read it at work. Like <laughs> I, I mean, hey, you got to read this book. It's got a sexy bear in it. To be fair, I work at a pretty uh, pretty uh, you work at a sexy bear <laughs> strip joint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I work at the the you see the Don't the tell forest. people where you work. No, no, no. I was going to say you see the forestry service has a strip club and yeah. that's no. <laughs> but no, I work at a pretty like liberal frou-frou place, so, you know, uh people are, like if I tell people, I'm, yeah, I'm reading this book about a librarian having sex with a bear, like they'll laugh, but I'm not going to get fired about it, you know. So, it's <laughs> it's fine. Um uh Paris, can you come to uh the HR office uh <laughs> We've been informed that you're telling people to read Bear Erotica? <laughs> Other places I've worked, um, I feel like that that would have been a problem, but this place <laughs> not so much. So, you know, I, I feel like at this point we've talked a lot about the things that we really like about it, um, but obviously there are some things we need to talk about sure like so hey uh this is animal abuse and definitely don't yeah. fuck a bear or any yeah, other non-human animal consent. please um it's certainly sickening like you know in in obviously there is a patina of disgust you yeah. know on this uh these scenes this book this whole thing uh but just to put that right out there yeah, like we the are part, not advocating for this. I probably the part this where earlier. she talks about like fondling bear nuts, oh, I was kind of like, mm, me, okay. Yeah, actually, yeah, I I also uh, grimaced and and went Ugh, like yeah. out loud when I was reading it. I really hope I can find that page. Um, it, yeah, it's this is not an okay thing to do, and but I think that's kind of what also makes the book pretty good is like when you're presented with something emotionally deep from something that is you know we shouldn't ever use this kind of imagery or metaphor but if you're good enough of a writer you can really pull something out of it yeah there yeah there's definitely there a time where she's talking about fondling his balls and there's another time where she talks about his uh him being coming aroused uh, and his penis coming out of its bear sheath because apparently that's a thing you get a little lessons and some lessons in bear anatomy in this book uh yeah and those scenes were definitely like oh god yeah <laughs> like, ugh, like, oh, definitely made you recoil uh both internally and externally um but uh, there's something about that discomfort yeah like we're saying you know that is good in a way because it it makes you think about why it's uncomfortable right and it's uncomfortable because <clears throat> you know you're you're looking at a a sexual relationship between a functional adult woman and a non-human animal and that's not equal and that's why it's gross <laughs> right yeah and it makes you think like well, if, you know, well, if that's gross, then I have to consider other unequal sexual relationships and why that is also gross. Like, for example, why having sex with children is gross or why, like, grooming someone until they're of age is gross and, like, all these other things, yeah. you know? Um, so that discomfort is there for a purpose. It's not just there to shock you, which I think is very boring and, unfortunately, what a lot of shocking books do i'm trying to think of an example have we ever 
I don't know that we've read anything on the show that was specifically like that. We, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, there for the, the shock jock value or anything like that. Shock that, that's on radio. I just, I should have just said shock value. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's all the, it's all the, the jerking off, the jocking. I don't know. Yeah, it's all that. sure. Um, I'm trying to remember if we, if we did read anything that was bad for that reason, where it's just like, yeah, shock value. Ugh. I feel like, uh, that, well, I was going to say that, uh, that vampire parody book but that was a parody so the whole point is kind of to be yeah it wasn't to be like oh i'm cool to be outlandish it was like deliberately silly because Mm. it was so over the top yeah sorry so maybe maybe we haven't i mean we've also this is also our 80th book at this point over like five years so i fucking don't even remember half the things we read some of the time but in any case there's plenty of uh media out there that does this i'm sure listeners know what we mean uh yeah, so I guess my point is sometimes it's okay to read about bestiality if there's a point. Yeah. And there were many points to this, and it was done in a way that was, dare I say, artistic? I would say that. Yeah, you know, and... To me, art is about con- making these, like, novel connections a lot of the time, sort of, like linking a couple neurons in your brain that never talked to each other before and all of a sudden it makes total sense when you articulate it in a certain way yeah like when you just helped me discover that everything is fucking flat and black and white after you read the marquis de Sade, like yeah I just, <laughs> um but yeah obviously uh we don't think that this behavior is okay don't fuck non-human animals it's definitely abuse because one party cannot consent and does not it does not have the same mental capacity as the other so like just to be clear yeah not cool um there were a couple of things yeah and like you know when because typically when we when we talk about books we generally end up not liking them we talk about how we can fix it um and even though i liked this book there were still some other little things i wanted to talk about like first of all Becoming a weird animal sex haver is a hell of a way to overcome emotional hardship, yeah, right? You know, but but like I said, it certainly made me pay attention more and consider my feelings more and the words on the page than if I were to read about some woman falling in love in the woods or some shit. Like, an incredibly strange choice, but well executed. Mm-hmm. Um, There was something I really didn't like uh, the very end of the book when it tried to seem... As though um, Lou and the bear's relationship was, like, okay and pure and all wholesome and shit. Like, some fucking communion with a nature spirit. Like, nah. This this lady was just at a breaking point emotionally and gave into a sexual weakness and then nurtured that weirdness rather than stopping it. Like, to I To be didn't... clear, like, she, she extends her stay, purposely extends her stay on the island to be with the bear longer. And the relationship comes to an end when he finally scratches her on her back with his claws. And I think that's an obvious sort of stand-in for like, oh, you finally got hurt in the relationship. It has to end and you're like disconnecting from it after that. You you were waiting for that one little moment of hurt to run away immediately. And she does that. She basically leaves the bear there and drives off. But and it's in this very, as you put it, it's, it almost frames as this like, well, that was my summer fling with the bear. And now I'm returning to my real life and I've learned something. The yeah, end. it's almost it's almost like when kids go off to fucking Native American camp or whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm one with nature now. It's like, 
fuck no all of those ideas are wrong all of it is bad you know like i don't yeah i don't Harris, so what this is leads native me... american camp well oh oh chris that's right i think we, we we both grew up too poor to really ever go to any of these things but um a lot of upper middle class and rich white people send their kids to uh well they usually say the more pejorative <laughs> They usually use more pejorative words for native native people, uh, but they send them to these camps where the kids like basically put on headdresses and do powwows and like learn to do woodsy stuff, and it's real gross. Oh, <laughs> um, great, well, yeah, that's a thing. Now I have new America. Knowledge. Yeah, um, so stuff like that, you know. And I this so this brings me to my next point where I worry that the message that the book has a message that basically kind of says, well, non-human animals and, you know, quote unquote nature are just there for white people to learn from and help them recover. And they have no real agency or story of their own. Um, and I think I don't think that's entirely the case because the author does seem to acknowledge this sometimes because she refers to Lou um, like projecting her emotions that she wants onto the bear but like that's the only point of self-awareness i see about it and it especially the ending is really the thing that made me have these negative feelings i think if it had ended differently i wouldn't have had these concerns um i mean and to kind of end with this like i personally find you know non the non-human environment and by that i mean like you know, forests, wilderness, etc. Like, I find those things very restorative, and, and scientifically, it actually is. You know, if you look at studies done on people who spend more time away from cities, breathing um, air in these areas that are distant from pollution and have a bunch of different types of fauna, the air that you uh, breathe in in those places can actually provide you with different... Um, like defenses like antibodies i guess against uh disease and things like that and i'm I'm very much oversimplifying this and overgeneralizing so again don't fucking email me look (laughs) it up uh but you know it is literally it can actually change your well-being like both your your mental and physical health to to be out in uh the non-human environment so i definitely encourage people to do that but you have to still remember that it's not mine to own or possess or even rent it's not yours to do that either like it's there to respectfully visit and help protect as needed but you can't fuck the bears that (laughs) (laughs) yep uh yeah fuck the bears but what i was really gonna say was even though we're responsible for helping um keep those places safe we don't really hold dominion over it it's a partnership it's not an ownership. Um, and I say this because I, I'm someone who likes, you know, going on walks, likes hiking, you know, likes doing things like that. And I um, I don't I guess I guess I just want to explain that I do think spending time in the non-human environment is really important. But I I do worry that this book kind of makes it seem like <laughs> go out to the woods for the summer, fuck a bear and come back restored you know like that's not the message yeah, you want <laughs> that's not the takeaway here um, the, the book for me was more about exploring that loneliness area by using the bear as a metaphor for like i said the harm that a potential new relationship can cause you and the scariness of that 
And is that worse than being alone? Dude. The eternal question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, for me, it was uh, some parts of this were just kind of tough because of that, you know. Um, I got to say, though, as much as the loneliness can can be ooh, can be kind of shattering sometimes, I still choose this over something unfulfilling with another person. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> that and And it's hard, man, like, because... It's hard for two reasons. Like, one, socially it's hard, right? Because we're socialized, at least where we're from, you know, North America, where, you know, you're supposed to be, even even if not married with kids, like, you're supposed to be partnered still, right? Like, that's still kind of the standard. Um, even though none of us can afford the fucking white picket fence lifestyle, and many of us don't want to have children, um, or maybe even get traditionally married. I mean, we're both kind of in that boat um uh, as far as i know um you know neither of like chris and i neither of us want to have kids um and i think marriage is a thing we've both only toyed with the idea of very distantly right uh, like, it's one of those things where i'm like i uh, also wait this kind of sounds like i'm talking about us having kids and marrying each other that no, is not what's happening no <laughs> no 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 oh god no um what i was gonna say is the idea of marriage to me it it seems like like almost a legal thing more than anything else right like it's a piece of paper to get our taxes on the joint filing thing more than an actual thing that means anything to me yeah and so you know so like i said you know we're socialized in this way to be partnered to be paired um that there is someone out there for everyone that you know love is all you need all these um kind of like hallmark phrases floating around all the time and it's everywhere you know it's it's in your social circles it's in the media you consume it's on the news it's it's in you know the books you read i realized that was redundant because i said media and then went on to specify certain types of media but (laughs) bear with me here um bear oh bear (laughs) Uh, (laughs) fuck me i think it's time to open this beer uh today i'm drinking uh lawson's faced in maple imperial stout um this is a a fabulous beer from vermont uh that i don't often get to have although they're just craving a sour right now i think i might like actually go up to the liquor store (laughs) (laughs) wow um i do love sours but tonight it's an imperial stout kind of night uh so we're gonna crack that open Oh, but to be clear, by the way, a point I want to make earlier, it's not like I don't think there's, like, nothing there with, like, a ceremony that that's a declaration of commitment. That's perfectly valuable on its own, too. There's plenty of reasons that I might want to do that even sometime oh, to be future. To be clear, you're talking, Chris is talking about marriage, the institution yeah. of marriage. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, the whole, like, hey, let's have a ceremony where we get all our friends and family together and we celebrate this commitment that we're making together. I totally get that. That's, a, you know, have a fun party where we say, like, hey, we're trying to stick this whole thing out together here. That's fine. Yeah, but, yeah, sure. But a lot of this other industry that go, comes around it, like, you know, oh, you got to spend two thirds of a year's salary on a ring and the you got to spend 40k drop a house payment on a mar- like a, a the whole ceremony and stuff like that that's that's shove that shit to the side for me it's 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 about the actual commitment you're making with someone more than anything and 
Yeah. Aside from that, it's 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 like I said, it's a legal thing. It's a it's a tax thing. Yeah. Um. But uh. So yeah. So there's there's that um pressure, and some other people feel this pressure from their religious affiliations, or you know, from their family, not not just their friends and the greater society. So there's that, and then there's also just this ingrained um biological. Uh, I guess mental emotional needs that are all tied up together whether it's for um sex and or love or both um where you know where human beings in general again generalities <laughs> generalities people in general um it's pretty normal to crave those things like like humans are very social most of the time in general um and so you know you over time just learn that it's not worth it <laughs> to uh grasp at these things all the time right like why am i going to waste energy going on dates when i could write an album when i could record this podcast man that's a hell of a life choice i'm not yep. going to go on a date i'm going to record a podcast about this book where a librarian fucks it there um <laughs> You know, I could climb rocks. I could go on a hike. I could do all these things that are ultimately going to have a longer lasting and positive effect on me, um, on my personal development, who I am. Uh, Going on empty Tinder dates just doesn't do it for me, you know? Um I don't know and maybe i'm i'm probably in the minority but and that and that's not to say that i don't grapple like i said with the feelings of loneliness because at, at my core i'm a human being with human genetics and yeah it'd be great to like <laughs> to be frank yeah it'd be great to fuck somebody who i was in love with who loved me back right like that's a great thing that most people want i mean i think you know chris helped me out here so i'm not just talking into the void uh <laughs> You seem like you're on a roll there. I don't want to interrupt. Oh, no, it's fine. But I'm just saying, like, I feel like that's it's I guess what I'm saying is it's okay to want that, but not um, like constantly seek it out and let it dominate your life. Yeah, I just see I see so many people I know fall into those fucking traps. And like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I've fallen into those traps before. I've stayed in relationships for way too long, like years longer than I should have let them go on because, you know, it, it. because we're all fed this idea that like well you know if you just compromise like love is enough all you need is love you can get by on just that like you know it's worth it if uh if you feel like you have a person that you care about and i don't want to say that relationships aren't work because they are but you have to identify what's what's worth the work and what isn't like if your partner isn't willing to meet you halfway that's not cool uh you know if there's someone who's just feeding off of you emotionally financially physically that's not okay you know what i mean so um i don't know why this is turning into like dr ruth paris (laughs) Uh, but my prescription bear (laughs) ursa fucker um (laughs) yeah i guess um i guess what i'm saying is you know put yourself first um don't fuck bears. Uh. <laughs> don't maybe don't use that as the way to um, explore that area. Maybe read <laughs> this else, read this book instead and explore it that way. Yeah, but you know, don't don't fuck bears, and by that I mean don't fuck literal bears. But also, don't just like go out and fuck people that don't matter because it's not worth the emotional labor. <laughs> 
I mean, I guess do whatever you want, but like yeah, this, there's some people that are perfectly fine with that thing, and that's yeah, not to that's say fine. like you know casual sex is bad or anything. Where that's no, no, no. If it works for you, it works for you. But just make sure your own person on the other end also feels that way. You can't guarantee it all the time, but do your due diligence, please. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Be good to each other, please. Yeah, yeah. Don't be don't be jerks to each other. Um, so sorry that this has ended with a weird rant about Paris's personal life. <laughs> Uh, but this, There's I don't know. There's a train book- coming to take you away. <laughs> Chris said to train into my house to yeah. kill me. That's he needed this podcast to end. Um, no, but I, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't feel that weird talking about it on the show because that's what that's what this book brought up in me, and that's something. Yeah, and that's what a good book will bring up yeah, out of you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And we're not listen. We're not all like fucking dick jokes and lightning crashes parodies all the time over here. We have. <laughs> capacity for analysis here (laughs) if the Um, book provides it and this book did if the book provides man the book provides Mm -hmm. um so yeah and ultimately our verdict is read this book it is mentally and emotionally challenging it is beautifully written Uh, i totally get how it won a literary award in canada you know i i actually actually i think it was like the was it the governor's uh word for fiction governor general's award yeah um yeah fucking read it it's only gonna it's only gonna take like two hours of your two to four hours of your time i guess depending on how quickly you read and it's worth it it's worth it um i don't know is there anything else we wanted to talk about before we wrap this up no honestly i think that was a you know nice solid episode with good things to say so i'm not gonna go into the like good media thing yet because usually that's the palate cleanser after we've been bitching for an hour or so and this time i I would like to just prefer to celebrate this good book that we ran into on this horrible journey that we've been taking for years yeah i gotta gotta say yeah when we after we've slept with so many useless (laughs) (laughs) empty books that made us feel nothing we found one that loves us back oh we did we did didn't we um (laughs) Yeah, I gotta say, for this show, man, when we find a book we like, it's the most exciting fucking thing. (laughs) It's like digging through a pile of, like, sewage, and, like, out your your hand just, like, out comes, like, a gem that you can sell for so much money, and, like, you can finally pay those medical bills. Thanks, I just sprayed this Imperial Stout all over my laptop because (laughs) I was sipping when you said that. But yeah, I mean, and don't get, obviously, obviously, this is like something we do for fun and we do it willingly. But, you know, we do have a, a com- it's still a commitment. We put out an episode every two weeks. We have jobs. We're both in bands. We have other books we read, other things we do. So like, even though it is fun, it is still a commitment. And sometimes we can get a little worn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, um. I just remember the yeah I read the first page of this book and I messaged Chris and I was like Chris I think I'm gonna love this book and Chris was like what <laughs> I was like yeah I know I think I'm gonna love this book I think we're gonna tell people to read a book about bear fucking and yep yeah. here we are do it all right uh, well much like you know today's bear like fuck a- brought to you by <laughs> much Atari, like you know, Greg <laughs> Will Veronica D Jared Lynn Sina. Jakob, Torben, a.k.a. Duck King, Bobby Black Cat, Ayame, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, and Kieran. 
All right, I'm done. <laughs> if you want to help support the show, you can subscribe on YouTube, become a patron on our Patreon. Um, and, you know, we have to read your recommendations usually if you're a patron. So that's a way to get us to read weird stuff like this that we might not have picked out normally. Um, yeah, call that in, all you folks that we just named over there. Find something like even if it's not something outwardly terrible, maybe you saw something in a bookstore that you just don't have the time to go over. Let us do that for you. You're paying us the money to do so. Um, you could also share the show or tell someone about it. You know, open like burst into your work tomorrow and go like, "Hey guys, listen to this this podcast about bear sex," <laughs> and they, everyone will turn towards you and say, like, "Yes, I will do this." Also, you're fired. And then no, and then you will get a call from HR, and then yeah. you'll be fired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, we do love hearing from you. So, um, you know, reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, Instagram. You can send us an email. Only if it's not about us not being nuanced enough with generalities, because <laughs> we don't have that kind of time. You know, we're well intentioned. Um, but you can send us an email with book recommendations to terriblebookclub at gmail dot com. Um, I don't think if there's anything else I wanted to talk about. Yeah, Chris, Chris, uh, what I just want to emphasize what Chris said. Y'all patrons, put in your requests for 2020 because it is already March. Um, so and that we're is filling out late. the schedule with yeah. other stuff. We've been, you know, we weren't sitting on our butts waiting for this, but you could help fill out the rest of the year by calling your patronage in. Yeah, calling that, that Patreon debt in. Um, the next episode, I think, is going to be our first patron's choice episode, and a couple of people have given us. Um, some books they want us to read, but a uh, large majority of you haven't. So, you know, get on that, folks. Um, conversely, if you have already told us your choice, we have put it on the schedule um, and it'll be coming up in the next couple of months. Uh, Including uh, that one that two people wanted, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Two of y'all. Fucking great minds. Um, shit, I'm sorry. I keep stuttering because I keep thinking there's something I wanted to say on the show. And I didn't put it in the notes, so I guess it's going to remain unsaid. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, we said quite a bit this episode. I think yeah, it's true. We can we can just we can just put a pillow over my face and send me off. Doesn't have to be so train. morbid, Paris. Maybe we we could have ended the metaphor with like, oh, you're driving off of the Bear Island now into <laughs> like back into your real life. I'm not gonna murder you, Jesus. Well, you sent a train to kill me. That's, yeah. All right. Well. It didn't get you, did it? So <laughs> you you won fair and square. Yeah, Chris, you gotta you gotta find that hitman and get your money back. He didn't do it. That train conductor did not do a great job. <laughs> oh wait, I forgot. It's on tracks. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, she sent me a text. Sorry, couldn't do it. I forgot about the tracks thing. <laughs> Sorry, tried to throw a rock at her too far. <laughs> um, all right, folks. Um, have a lovely. Oh. I remember what it was. The... Drum roll. Oh, it's, it's... nothing exciting. Uh, but that other podcast that I guested on, should, that episode should be out by the time this episode comes out. So check out Rolling Misadventures, where me, uh, Megan from Ono Lit Class, uh, and a few other folks um, do some weird improv comedy. That's the Bear Animator episode. Uh, I also recently recorded another one with them. Where it was like a rock opera and I made up a really crazy bad rock opera song. So, yeah, that's a thing. Uh, wow, I am running out of steam. All right. Well, then let's, you know, put the kettle back on the... I, I don't know how the steam <laughs> metaphor works. It's not a steam thing. I don't know. 
I think I'm think fumbling been, this whole ending today. You know, we've just been fucked out of our minds by this bear book, <laughs> and I think we're just done. Jesus. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, don't fuck bears. Have a lovely March. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye, Paris. Bye, Paris. Bye, Paris.